Dear Sangha friends, respected Thai, tonight we engage the discourse on the Lotus of the Wonderful Dharma, the Universal Door Chapter. That's kind of a long, flowery mouthful for a long, flowery sutra. Um, it is in our chanting book. It is also um, on the Plum Village website. And so if you want to uh, read it and contemplate it on your own, it is, it is available. And the guided meditation during the last sitting period was parts of it. So here is another part. We will read it in, in its entirety next week in our sutra service, but rather than um, take the time right now, I'm going to uh, dip and dive a little bit. Aspirations as wide as the oceans were made for countless lifetimes. She, Avalokita, has attended the billions of Buddhas her great aspiration purified by mindfulness. Whoever calls her name or sees her image, if their mind be perfectly collected and pure, will then be able to overcome the suffering of all the worlds. When those with cruel intent push us into a pit of fire, invoking the strength of Avalokita, the fire becomes a refreshing lake. And we also heard many other very vivid, powerful images. Adrift on the waters of the great ocean, threatened by monsters of the deep, invoking the strength of Avalokita, we are saved from the storm waves. With wild animals all around, bearing their teeth, tusks, and claws, invoking the strength of Avalokita will cause them to run far away. Chased by a cruel person down the diamond mountain, invoking the strength of Avalokita, not even a hair of our body will be in danger. What on earth is this? Parts of it sound an awful lot like a prayer of supplication that you would pray to a saint to help you in your time of need. Parts of it sound like, well, is this some kind of a promise that we will somehow never be mugged or rained on or lose in court if we just believe enough in Avalokita. And if this language speaks to you in the form of a prayer to a higher power, it can be that. But if that feels somehow abstract or airy-fairy or high-flown, and you don't know what to make of it, here's an alternative. 
Consider this to be pure poetry. Plain and simple. How is poetry different from a prayer? Some might say there is little difference. A couple weeks ago in the newspaper, there was an, uh, in the Missoulian, there was a, an interview with a local poet and fishing guide named Chris Dombrowski. And he spoke of how he wrote his poems and how he viewed his work. And he said, you wouldn't ask a glass of fine wine, what does it mean? So don't ask what a poem means. What does it make you feel? How do you experience it? And so when we imagine this sutra, this text, as poetry, where does it take us? Where, does those, where do those images that are the stuff of nightmares and horror movies and harrowing adventures, where do those things take us? This is one I didn't read before. Poisons, curses, and bewitchings putting us into danger. Invoking the strength of Avalokita, harmful things return to their source. Standing atop Mount Meru, should someone desire to push us down, invoking the strength of Avalokita, we dwell unharmed like the sun hanging in space. That sounds an awful lot like some of the anxiety dreams I've had about things I can't get away from or things I wish were different. So one thing is I was, as was contemplating this text in, a, in an effort to bring it... Um, give it some relevance and connect to this imagery. Some of it seems very relevant today, or certainly we can imagine the image of being chained up in, in prison or in a storm. But others of these things are a little more esoteric. So what if we imagined the things that are current horrors and obstacles that are either for us personally or in our floating around in our, in our popular culture. The zombie apocalypse, home invaders, wildfire, road rage, grizzly bear attacks. And I'm sure that all of you can imagine any, any number of things that go in that vein that would possibly resonate with you that you might that might um, embody your own challenges or fears or difficulties. So I take this sutra to be something of an invitation to imagine the worst, the most difficult things we can experience, and then invoking the strength of Avalokita, we can look at them deeply in order to transform our relationship to our own suffering. Because I don't see this ultimately as being a, an appeal 
to a higher power. I see this as an opportunity to reach inside of ourselves. And I think it helps if we re revisit what the aspiration of Avalokita is. And we also chant that every week when we, re when we invoke the Bodhisattva's names. And I do want to share that uh, right now because it, it brings, connects a lot of what we can view as practice with this, these images of suffering and danger. We invoke your name, Avalokiteshvara. We aspire to learn your way of listening in order to help relieve the suffering in the world. You know how to listen in order to understand. We invoke your name in order to practice listening with all our attention and open-heartedness. We will sit and listen without any prejudice. We will sit and listen without judging or reacting. We will sit and listen in order to understand. We will sit and listen so attentively that we will be able to hear the, what the other person is saying and also what is being left unsaid. We know that just by listening deeply, we already alleviate a great deal of pain and suffering in the other person. So that is the aspiration of Avalokita that this, that all of these images suggest we can meet and transform using that practice. So we are, as we as we engage this sutra, then we know that we are called to be like Avalokita, to use deep listening to develop great compassion. We're not, in fact, expecting Avalokita to intercede and solve the problem for us or to make our suffering vanish somehow. Instead, we can come to see our experience differently and transform and soften it so that it will no longer be experienced as suffering. And this sutra says, actions founded on her deep aspiration can respond to the needs of any being in any circumstance. Whose actions? Ours, of course. Now this is, of course, very hard, very challenging practice. Transforming our relationship to the things that threaten us and trigger our reactivity and our suffering and our habit energy are the things that are the most closest and nearest to us that are so difficult to engage. It's frequently so much easier to see the unhappiness and habits and, and um, misperceptions of other people and to see the other side of the coin when they express a concern and 
see how they could transform their view. And I had a, an experience like this over spring break. Um, I was talking with my younger son, Cedar, about a classmate that he had a very, very difficult and destructive conflict with last year that became uh, a truly uh, traumatic situation. And he was um, expressing how stupid this other person was to insist on being right about something that he knew wasn't true. And even though I had been also hurt very badly by this person and what had been said and done, I tried to offer him some kind of a broader perspective about what, why this other person might have um, stuck to their... Um, stuck to their idea even when there was some factual reason why that wasn't, wasn't true. And it had to do with that, that other child's family and what the need to be seen and heard and find ways to reach up to older siblings. And, and maybe it had something to do with the fact that we were just sitting in a swimming pool and very relaxed and sunshine and Mexico and all those things, but he surprised me by being able to hear that from me right then, when in the past, any attempt to try to offer this broader perspective about his experience had been met with just absolute resistance. And he actually said to me, yes, I can see that. And that was a great gift to me that he was able to see that, but I also had to remind myself that, in fact, it was so much easier for me to offer that to him than it was for me to find that in myself about my own hang-ups. And one of the things that I experience a lot of that are my storms and wild animals are conflict with him at home. And when I have those kinds of conflicts, I sometimes just want it to stop. We all do. I don't want to have to be mindful. I don't want to have to practice. I don't want to have to look deeply. I don't want to have to listen. I don't want to have to think about it. And so it takes a huge amount of courage and diligence and patience with ourselves and this poetry to remind us and inspire us that we can meet those wild animals. We can climb out of the pit. We can survive the storm. And the text addresses that as well. Look of truth, look of purity, look of boundless understanding, look of love, look of compassion, the look to always be honored and practiced. Look of immaculate light and purity, the sun of wisdom destroying darkness, master of fire, wind and disaster, illuminating the whole world. So, when we feel like our practice isn't strong enough, 
to see our own challenges more clearly and compassionately like Avalokita. I will leave you with something that Rowan shared with me, and it's fitting to offer this in his stead since he isn't here tonight. He said, the monks, the monks are fond of saying, it is, easier, it is easiest to practice in the temple. It is useful to practice in the market, but it is hardest to practice at home.